Hello, everybody. So, <laughs> welcome back. Uh, I'm very happy you, you're joining me now. It's very strange, you know, the Darwinian competition for attention. And let's see, you know, if I can hold your attention for the following, you know, space-time block that comprises this video. <laughs> it's actually really surprising, you know, with all of the video games and, you know, fan fiction, <laughs> art, drugs, all of the things you could be doing nowadays. Uh, you're choosing to listen to this video. Well, hopefully I'm not going to disappoint you. As I often say, I aim to always, 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 always provide some, you know, novel, non-trivial and interesting takes on particular subjects, oftentimes having to do with consciousness, but also more, more generally. So hopefully this is going to be worth your while. Today we're going to talk about DMT versus 5-MeO-DMT, which is a topic that is very important, uh, and I think it's going to be, um, a lot of people are going to be very curious about it um, right now, but especially in the future, as 5-MeO-DMT becomes more, more popular. Uh, before that, uh, I want, the quality of the day is uh, rheoscopic fluid, which is basically, uh, so Romeo Stevens <laughs> gave me this uh, as a birthday present, and it's uh, a pretty beautiful, like, you know, plastic sphere that inside has um, uh, like these like shiny, shiny surface. And uh, it, you can see the flow of turbulence in the liquid, which is fascinating. And you can really get lost in it. And it's very relevant for today because, you know, um, turbulent flow actually plays a very important role both in DMT and 5-MeO-DMT experiences. And I'll touch upon it uh, briefly uh, in in the video. So, yeah, uh, fascinating. So, uh, Morten Kringlebach recently published a paper about analyzing brain activity in terms of turbulent flow, uh, which is, yeah, fascinating. And I think it's going to be really interesting to basically apply that analysis to... Yeah, exotic states of consciousness. Anyway, let us get started. So, what is the difference between DMT and 5-MeO-DMT? Well, the difference is profound. It's a profound difference, you know? And it doesn't... They don't get averaged out if you take them together. In a different video, I'm going to talk about the state space of possible combinations of 5-MeO-DMT and DMT and what happens at different proportions which uh, I guess as an aside, I should say, you should be extremely careful about combining these substances. I mean, you should be very careful about using these substances to begin with uh, because they're like really, really potent and it's very easy to like, quote unquote, overdose on them um, and have like too much like overwhelming experiences while well, combining DMT and 5-MeO-DMT produces also extremely overwhelming experiences above certain like dosage and, and proportions. So I don't recommend it, <laughs> but I do have a video planned where I go over basically what happens at every possible combination based on, yeah, uh, interviews and data that uh, we've received, which is, yeah, fascinating. Okay, but the basic case of 5-MeO-DMT versus DMT, um, I wrote an article uh, about a year ago called The Nine Lenses uh, to com that compares these two substances. And since then, you know, we've had a bunch more insights. Um, so this video is actually going to be talked, <laughs> is going to be called the 12 lenses because I'm uh, also introducing three more lenses that I think are pretty clarifying for what this, uh, this is. So the first lens doesn't come from the article. It's a, a new lens. And I think it explains a lot 
Um, I talked about this in my recent presentation at the Oxford uh, Psychedelic Society. And the framework is that the difference between 5-MeO-DMT and DMT is that DMT gives rise to competing clusters of coherence in your nervous system, whereas 5-MeO-DMT gives rise to an attractor that has global coherence. And a lot of the state can be explained in terms of those two frameworks. So uh, first of all, you have to realize that your nervous system is organized along a particular hierarchy of, it's basically a resonance network. And roughly speaking, the higher in the hierarchy, the higher high level, the more high level the concepts are. So like rather than, you know, just low level sensations in at the bottom of the hierarchy to maybe like features um, and then like, you know, objects, uh, at the top of the hierarchy, you have things such as like, you know, sense of self and your theory of the cosmos and things like that. So when I say competing clusters of coherence by DMT, that basically means that <laughs> patches of that hierarchy enter into coherence. And this is really crazy because usually there's kind of like a negotiation process where for a layer to kind of like admit information from a lower layer, uh, it has to basically be in phase with it and if it's not it gets just rejected as kind of like information that is not like uh correct because we have like priors you know and the priors are instantiated at higher layers so dmt seems to you know drastically reduce like alpha coherence and other like you know neuroscientific signatures of like how priors may be implemented in the brain and as a result you, you get kind of these like traveling waves from the bottom up of the hierarchy and because this coherence is in a sense kind of a sidestepping or bypassing the normal mechanisms uh, that basically identify whether, you know, data is like spurious or not. Uh, for that reason, basically, this gives rise to a kind of forced belief updates uh, where it's actually dissonant to go against the hallucinations. And I'll, I'll go a little bit more in, in depth on that particular point. But, but the, the, the core... Um, Insight here is that the competing patterns of coherence happen across the hierarchy. So you can have like coherence at the level of like the textures in the wall. So when you see kind of like wallpaper symmetries, you see like slabs of symmetry happen in, 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 in DMT, that would be kind of like low level coherence. Whereas when you see basically hallucinations that involve, for example, like arms and legs and maybe a face and all of them are working in tandem, that would be a coherence cluster that is upwards in the hierarchy of, of the nervous system. Hopefully, hopefully that makes sense. Uh, which, yeah, to, to some extent accounts for the crazy, you know, quasi-agents that emerge uh, in, in DMT because these clusters of coherence are competing for survival in your experience and, uh, <laughs> and for your attention. So anyway, so that's, that's one piece. On 5-MeO-DMT, on the other hand, it gives rise to a certain kind of flow. And you can look at my video on Buddhist annealing to kind of get a definition of flow, but roughly speaking is any kind of sensation of impermanence and uh, fluidity of like energy movement in the body, which is a phenomenological description, not necessarily saying that energy literally is moving throughout your nervous system when you experience flow, although I wouldn't discard that possibility. But uh, the point is that, yes, uh, 5-MeO-DMT seems to activate a special kind of flow that allows, it seems like, neurons of many, many different types and, you know, clusters of uh, neural networks in your nervous system to basically um, 
allow the spread of energy in an uninterrupted fashion um, without blockages. Now, this becomes kind of like a lot of people talk about like the, you know, your unified field on 5-MeO DMT. And the truth is, yes, your nervous system becomes a sort of unified field because the waves of energy can travel without interruptions, you know, up and down, left and right, basically every possible harmonic. Uh, I would refer you to, you know, connect them with specific harmonic waves and, you know, other other uh, people like uh, Stephen Lehar and, and Mike Johnson have talked a lot about like the implications of kind of the harmonics of a neural network. And in brief, I think that on 5-MeO DMT, energy can flow between arbitrary harmonics. And what ends up happening is that you become a sort of unified field that integrates uh, energy without uh, resistance. Now, uh, your normal self and your normal kind of like addictions and your normal, uh, you know, like hangups and like ways of uh, getting stuck in your in your in your life uh, will at first still be there on 5-MeO DMT. And if the dose is not high enough, there will be a sort of like competition between like your normal frameworks for energy flow and the energy flow in the unified field on 5-MeO DMT. And that interaction can be very, very, very dissonant. Uh, and I think it's very, very important that if you aim to do, to try 5-MeO DMT, that you should develop a lot of like equanimity first. And and I mean it in a almost kind of like more DACA way, as in like take it seriously and like actually develop a lot of equanimity, like uh, uh, learn how to, for example, take a cold shower without uh, stalling and without uh, flinching and without like tensing, just kind of um, be able to accept whatever sensation you you have and and the same for like for example even like spicy food or something like that or, or getting feedback getting uncomfortable feedback you know learning to have a lot of equanimity when getting uncomfortable feedback because on 5-MeO DMT you know this unified field is kind of like giving you an attractor for like look how beautiful your consciousness could be look how pure and sustainable it could be relative to your, your normal, you know, addictions and compulsions and patterns of tension, that is like getting some really powerful feedback. And, you know, if you're very addicted to things, you have a lot of tensions and hangups, that feedback is going to be very negative. You know, it's going to, there's going to be a lot of like physiological dissonance between those two components. And I think like uh, going in with a, with a, I mean, like surrender and letting go is kind of the low grade version of that. I think like go in with like a high dose of equanimity, it's probably even better. It's like the, the, the best way forward, I, I think, I think. And I expect, uh, yeah, basically the best uh, clinical outcomes from 5-MeO DMT therapy will come from, uh, yeah, basically situations where um, people actually developed a lot of equanimity beforehand. Uh, okay, so that's, you know, literally just <laughs> framework number one, uh, lens number one, which is DMT as competing clusters of coherence and 5-MeO-DMT as global coherence. Okay, so that alone makes it just so different. Now, I, I want to say that there, there might be kind of a very simple mechanism of action where like in a sense, two things that influence a network in slightly different ways can give rise to such completely different, you know, effects. So there's a, a lot of like work on, for example, like looking at how uh, coupled oscillators, they develop uh, global synchrony. And here's the thing, like if you put a bunch of clocks in a long wall, um, if it's like very long, uh, eventually you will, you will ne they will never actually synchronize. If it's a short wall, if you have like maybe 10 clocks or something like that, and they're like uh, pendulum clocks, 
at some point they will they will synchronize uh, because you know they're sending like the little deviations from the mean uh, oscillation to the walls and basically there's kind of a feedback mechanism where eventually they all you know stick together but if it's a very long wall that simply just doesn't happen you what you will happen is like transient clusters of synchrony or traveling waves of synchrony for example like the mexican wave on on uh, sports ball stadiums right <laughs> like it's an emergent effect uh what what is very difficult to get is actually just global coherence now if you start adding connections kind of like physical connectors between these clocks so that they are coupled oscillators and in a sense you can program these with like artificial neural networks or basically coupled oscillators in in software and what you will see is that uh there's kind of like a threshold where like if the network is like doing its normal thing you add more connections that lowers the average synaptic path length meaning that like the average length between any two oscillators goes down as you add connections so first there is a phase transition you will, you will have like competing clusters of synchrony and if you add more connections, at some point, it's so interconnected that it actually does start to work as a unit. And I think like this is very reminiscent of DMT because like both DMT and 5-MeO-DMT make your brain more interconnected. But the subtle difference where 5-MeO-DMT makes it just a tad more connected, I think is the difference between these competing clusters of coherence and global coherence. So anyway, like small differences in you know connectivity can give rise to tremendous differences in overall you know dynamics how how it actually works which gives me to the brings me to the second framework which is uh, valence so most dmt experiences are going to be mixed valence and there's really good reasons for that uh given the symmetry theory of valence uh re recall basically the more uh symmetry there is in the object that is isomorphic to a conscious experience basically the the more pleasant the experience is going to be the more anti-symmetry basically incompatible symmetries uh coexist the more unpleasant the experience is going to be so think of like dmt really as kind of like making your brain into a very very complex high dimensional orchestra and you, you're trying to coordinate all of these different uh you know players and like sometimes you get kind of like all of these bundled over here it's kind of like playing a certain tune and this bundle over here is playing a slightly different tune and they're not in tune with one another and all of a sudden you get extreme dissonance for that reason but usually is going to be that there's kind of like an ecosystem and if you draw kind of the graph of how those regions of the conscious ecosystem are connected to one another you will see like oh okay this line is dissonant with this one this one is dissonant with this one this one this one but this one is consonant with this one this one is consonant with this one and, and so on so it's going to be like a mess <laughs> in in other words um and like it, it usually like takes luck or meditation to essentially end up in a very very clean beautiful attractor on dmt and and it does happen but even though those attractors are like very unitive in a sense they're not you, you don't have the complete experience of complete boundary dissolution why because even the feelings of oneness on dmt will be manufactured by basically coordinating clusters of coherence so that they create a sort of like quasi-unity or in a sense like it's a, a cooperator equilibrium between these patches of coherence. So whereas uh, DMT uh, in terms of valence has really two large attractors. It has like everything is awful attractor where basically um, you have like this global coherence interfering really, really strongly 
with basically your your natural you know patterns of tensions as they dissolve during the experience or what could also happen is that you may experience two competing clusters of coherence i think that's like more rare but that that's just a very very bad trip especially if you take a high dose which is why i actually don't advocate at all like people take high doses of avimio dmt it's just just a gamble it can be just so so bad um Small doses, you know, up to maybe five milligrams. I, I actually think uh, it can be pretty safe if you combine it with uh, meditation and a really, really solid uh, intention. And, uh, you know, with combine it with other methods. Um, okay, so that's uh, valence. Now, another framework that comes out of this is basically how oneness gets represented. So because in 5-MeO-DMT, you do achieve this global coherence, all internal boundaries dissolve. So you could almost say that you kind of like merge with a unified field of consciousness and there's no differentiation. Any differentiation melts away. It can still be a very high energy state, but basically because energy travels without um, without blockages, basically it, it does feel boundless. It does feel infinite. It's not, I mean, I should say it's not infinite because just because something is boundless doesn't make it be infinite. I mean, for example, the uh, surface of a sphere it's boundless, right? Like there's no boundaries. <laughs> you can walk anywhere and you don't find boundaries. That doesn't make it an infinite surface, you know? So likewise, I think on 5-MeO-DMT, you may have a lot of consciousness. There may be a lot of qualia and they don't have boundaries. But in the final analysis, I do think it's a finite bundle of energy that is in this hypercoherent state. Um, not infinite, <laughs> not infinite, very large. <laughs> Not infinite, <laughs> but anyway, it feels infinite, and a lot of people will say, like you know, you once you experience infinity firsthand, you know, you know for sure. But I will say, like, no, actually, it's kind of an illusion out of you know the boundlessness of the experience. Um, but uh, in a way, what five meo DMT allows you to experience is a representation of the whole, instantiating, instantiated all at once. So it's kind of like the whole representing the whole, you know, kind of. Imagine all of reality being this like ohm symbol and everything is resonating in line with that ohm symbol and there's no information. That's just it. It's kind of the breadth of the universe, so to speak. Yeah, that's 5-MeO DMT for you. <laughs> now, DMT, on the other hand, because it has these chaotic, uh, very complex clusters of coherence going on, it does represent oneness but as i said it is kind of like when our orchestra finds a very consonant tune um but for it to find a very consonant tune it actually requires each of the clusters of coherence requires to have in a sense a kind of tiny model of how it's influencing the rest of the experience so that it can be in consonance with it so um in a sense 5-MeO-DMT is you get a global experience that represents the whole. On DMT, you, you get a, 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 a shattered experience where each part can claim to be the whole. You know, you may experience like the symbol of God or something like that over here, over the, you know. Uh, and in a sense, they're all going to claim that they are the totality. So it's kind of like a way of holographically encoding all of the information you experience uh, fractally in each of the components because each of the components requires to understand how the rest of the experience behaves so that it can actually be in consonance with it. Which uh, actually takes me to um, 
the free energy principle, which is also kind of like a new new framework here. I mean, like we we've talked about the free energy principle for a long time at QRI. Uh, you know, Friston and Carhead Harris, their lineages of QRI. We we really care about like that that worldview. Uh, I will point out though um, that we think it's a piece of the puzzle. It's not like the final answer. Um, there's a lot of talk of kind of like, oh, the free energy principle provides the framework for how to understand consciousness, which I don't think it's the, I don't think is the case. Uh, but, you know, briefly uh, stated, the free energy principle says that basically any dynamical system um, that survives, you know, that actually is able to continue its own existence uh, can be interpreted as performing Bayesian inference on its surrounding. And as a consequence, you have this very interesting component where um, for a dynamic system to actually survive, it needs to balance the accuracy by which it's modeling its environment and the complexity of the internal model. Because you can always model an environment perfectly if you create a perfect copy of it. I mean, you can make a, a very, very, very high quality model. But if storing that model takes a ton of of energy and information, that itself will make it unstable. It's very difficult to basically harness very complex models. They're unstable. So in a sense, like the, the dynamic systems that are good at surviving are precisely those that have the correct balance between internal model complexity of the environment and accuracy of that model complexity. Now, this really applies to you know these exotic states of consciousness in a number of ways and i talked about one of them in the oxford uh, uh psychedelic science conference uh which i'll repeat in i'll repeat first and then i'll explain other ways in which the free energy principle applies to, to exotic states so the the way in which i talked about this was how uh basically competing clusters of coherence um well uh, first of all the way in which the free energy principle is implemented, which nobody is talking about this in these terms. Uh, people are talking about, like, for example, 5HT, <laughs> two-way uh, receptors and de desynchronization uh, and things like that. But uh, at QRI, the way in which we think about this is that basically the brain is a network of resonance. And what it's trying to do is minimize uh, dissonance. Um, and basically what happens is that uh, for you to basically have a very dissonance-free experience, you need to, in a sense, uh, be able to predict the lower layers of the hierarchy because fall, uh, wrong predictions basically uh, are out of phase and that causes dissonance. And the model internally, uh, which is also implemented with a network of resonance, has to be relatively simple because very complex models have an inherent dissonance cost. But also, you know, more symmetrical models uh, are, generally speaking, less or they can be less dissonant um so that also creates kind of like this bias towards like simplicity in our models and also symmetry in our models as has been demonstrated in a lot of like psychophysics work that in giving a, a range of interpretations we tend to uh select the simplest one in for example like perceptual tasks and so on and, and Stephen lehar has a lot of a uh, talk uh, he has a lot of like write-ups about uh precisely this topic um so that's one way in which the, the free energy principle may really apply to your experience. But there's also another very fascinating way, which is that it applies to what happens on these exotic states of consciousness more precisely uh, in, in two ways. So the first one is something that I discussed in the hyperbolic geometry of DMT experiences in the way where 
what happens on DMT is that the energy parameter drastically increases uh, and energy in your consciousness basically can manifest as intensified brightness of surfaces, intensified movement like speed, uh, the curvature of what we call the world sheet, which is basically um, the uh, depth map that is associated to your visual impressions. So that has an in inherent curvature where like it's, sorry, uh, the curvature has an inherent energy where basically more flat things have lower energy relative to like very curved and intricate stuff that requires a lot of energy to instantiate. So on DMT, the energy parameter grows, it goes up significantly and that energy can manifest in the form of like very bright colors. For example, there are, there is a family of DMT experiences where all of the energy of the DMT experience is concentrated on, for example, creating the most blue visual field possible, just like so blue, it actually hurts. And so blue, it actually, you actually start experiencing kind of blue harmonics and very exotic, you know, quasi-physical properties that, of course, have nothing to do with the, you know, wavelength of light because, you know, phenomenal color is a very different thing than waves, wavelengths of light. You could presumably also experience color with audio thanks to synesthesia but in in any case like the color as a qualia variety that can store a bunch of energy and you may also experience a completely different you know dmt like kind a category of experience where you have all of the energy concentrated on the curvature or on for example the speed of of things or like on sound like as a, a tone so intense that basically that is most of your experience. So energy, where it's concentrated in your experience, fluctuates during a DMT experience. I mean, rarely does it fully, you know, concentrate entirely into just one modality. It's, it's oftentimes kind of a, a mixture of all of those things. Um, importantly, though, because our brains are Bayesian in, in a computational sense, what we can recognize lowers our energy. So when the world sheet is kind of like doing crazy, chaotic, you know, uh, high energy resonant configurations and you get, uh, you know, tessellation patterns and symmetries and so on. So if you can kind of uh, look at it and say like, oh, you know, this region over here kind of looks like a table. What will happen is that it will crystallize into a table. And in a sense, you know, this is the deep dream effect, except like understood through the free energy principle where basically patterns that you can recognize the things that you know of are able to absorb energy so that's what we call bayesian energy sinks you know i've been been, been talking about it since uh, 2016 uh which i think definitely i think we're the first people to talk about you know this exotic state of consciousness in those terms as, as far as i know uh you know especially considering like <laughs> a deep discussion of the world sheet and its dynamics I, I think all of that is like new vocabulary from us uh Importantly, too, uh, from the point of view of symmetries, you know, symmet symmetrical configurations are also ways in which the energy can be minimized. And uh, the, the, I mean, the classic analogy here would be kind of like the reason why um, a bubble, basically uh, a soap bubble, why is it like spherical? Why does it converge on spheric uh, spherical configuration? Because basically any other way in which it's, it could be uh, configured has a higher intrinsic energy. And so as, you know, the bubble radiates its energy uh, with its interactions with its environment, eventually it just goes to the lowest energy state, which is a sphere. And likewise, on DMT and exotic states of consciousness, 
basically the configura configurations, which we think are basically nonlinear couplings between harmonics. The thing that happens there is that the configurations that can radiate uh, energy uh, will generally tend towards high symmetry because that is the lowest energy configuration. And as a consequence, the things that you experience on DMT will be these slabs of symmetry, at first two-dimensional, and they're going to be kind of negotiating their existence and basically trying to stitch with one another. And that stitching process is also an energy minimization process, which gets combined with the Bayesian energy sinks. And so you get a crazy coupling between highly symmetrical configurations and semantically meaningful configurations. And yeah, basically energy loss can happen in one way or the other. And like you may have a trip where you end up in just a perfect symmetrical lattice and that's one possible, you know, energy minimization configuration. Or you may end up in a trip where you experience as something super semantic, you know, something like, like you were taken to like, uh, DMT purgatory because of a scene that you haven't confessed or just some, something weird like that. And that it could also be basically a, a, a locally a lowest energy configuration. Um, so that is, yeah, one way in which the free energy principle interfaces with DMT in particular. On 5MEO DMT, the, the, because, you know, you get this like global flow, what ends up happening is that the lowest energy configuration is actually something like globally becoming a sphere or kind of like the 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 soap bubble like in, in dmt it would be an ecosystem of soap bubbles all of them trying to achieve like lowest energy configurations on 5mo dmt is the entirety of your experience is kind of this soap bubble and it's trying to achieve its uh, minimum energy configuration given its level of excitation which is a, a function of the dose um so yeah i mean when you become one with everything yes that is kind of water seeking level or like the the bubble being perfectly spherical um well I, i'd be very interested in like you know physicists or, or other like you know psychonauts rational psychonauts to f provide feedback on this model i'm fairly confident of it but you know i could be wrong i could be wrong uh the other very critical way in which the free energy principle shows up uh and also i believe nobody you know is talking about this you, you heard it first <laughs> at qri or you know you've heard it first from, from us which is um that the coherent clusters that are actually able to survive are also those that interestingly will have a sort of like model of their environment in how they interact with their environment so you have like this slab of symmetry for example over here and it's going to be vibrating. I mean, that's like a super fascinating thing of like these states of consciousness. We also think of normal states of consciousness, except it's just not as obvious. But basically when you have like these vibrating slabs of symmetry, they will be sending waves. I know this sounds crazy, but it's true. They will be sending waves with a resonant frequency equivalent to the resonant frequency of the slab. And they will be bouncing off. And only the ones that basically reinforce their environment and get their environment to send back waves that don't d destroy them will be the ones that exist. So in a sense, you know, you will have this ecosystem where different patches, in some sense, like the coherence clusters could be thought of as like, you know, um, uh, Markov blankets. Um, not exactly because things are more interconnected and I'm not sure the assumptions fully work in a, you know, holistic process like uh, conscious experience, but approximately, you know, like a DMT entity or like this weird belief over here or this weird like body sensation over here on DMT. 
yeah, for them to like exist and be sustainable, they kind of require an internal model of their environment, uh, which is why, yeah, basically this provides a, a further explanation for why on DMT, everything seems to represent everything else. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, that, that's kind of the holographic fractal property. We believe that we can explain to a large extent, yeah, the holographic fractal property of DMT experiences using a modification of the free energy principle for the particular physical conditions of the brain. So anyway, <laughs> I said it here uh, first. You heard it from us first. Um, now, let me go over uh, basically the various uh, lenses that I talked about in the article. Uh, so all of these, you know, they're like uh, a couple years old and... But I think they still apply. They're very insightful, I think. So first of all, space versus form. Like 5-MeO DMT is much more space-like than DMT. So like DMT, generally speaking, tends to have a lot of surfaces. Basically, these labs of symmetry, these basically moiré or interference patterns between harmonics that are trying to get stitched together constantly. And in the process of stitching together, they form hyperbolic surfaces. So that is like full of form, you know, like... They're concrete objects. I mean, they may be like mathematical, symmetrical, and so on, but they're concrete objects with clear, they provide a clear boundary to your world simulation. Whereas 5MEO DMT is inherently boundary dissolving. Like the whole point is that if there is an internal boundary, the energy flow in 5MEO DMT that is uninterrupted essentially dissolves that boundary. And what you end up having is boundlessness. Now, I'm not saying that there's, there are no boundlessness experiences on DMT. I'm just going to say that they are like less total. They're less complete. They will always have kind of this quality of being maybe encased in a room or being kind of, there's kind of like walls around which the energy bounces off. Uh, whereas 5MeO DMT is like truly boundless. Like it really, truly transcends boundaries. Uh, second uh, of this list, uh, crystals versus quasi-crystals. So on 5MeO DMT, you may experience, you know, perfect hexagonal lattice, uh, hyperbolic honeycombs, um, things like that. Why? Well, there is a fascinating duality between temporal synchrony and spatial uh, symmetry, where for you to actually instantiate something like a perfectly repeating hexagonal lattice, the harmonics need to be synchronized. Whereas on DMT, again, there's no, you know, global coherence. And for that reason, um, basically these competing clusters of coherence mm, essentially create these very fascinating uh, quasi-crystals. Basically, they, the, the scope of, of, of the synchrony is not large enough to create like true, perfect, you know, crystal structures that endure throughout your entire experience. If, if that happens, it's unstable on DMT. Whereas on 5-MeO DMT, you can crystallize and stabilize a super high dimensional symmetry group. And that tends to be an experience that you may describe as like becoming God or becoming the ultimate reality and so on. Now, the tricky and fascinating part is that there's a ton of them. Again, similar to how if you are kind of the surface of an object, you know, you can be the surface of a sphere or the surface of a, of a torus, like a donut. In both cases, you have no boundaries, right? But the space is different. It has a different global topology. And that matters. That will make the harmonics look different. And as a consequence, the feelings will be different. So a lot of these boundless states of 5MeO DMT 
they're different from one another. The feelings are different. You know, their, their constituent harmonics are different. Some of them are much more alien than others. Some of them are like just normal human love amplified a thousandfold. Others are like some alien emotion that <laughs> it's impossible to describe. Could be very high valence, though. Could also be very low valence <laughs> if you're unlucky. But the point is that uh, even when you experience infinity or boundlessness, it's underdetermined which of the boundless states of consciousness you experience because there's so many. There's a ton. There's families, families of them. And uh, we hope to actually catalog them and, and understand them um, and have some ideas on how to do that. But that's a topic for another video, another article, another time. Uh, okay, like a uh, third framework in this list is uh, non-attachment versus attachment. And basically, 5MEO DMT um, tends to punish you for attachment to existence. I mean, that's a weird thing, right? Like in Buddhism, they talk about like, how like, you know, be beyond like, you know, sensory desire. Uh, there's also kind of like these more subtle things such as like attachment for existence, uh, desire for existence or desire for non-existence. You know, like if you're suffering and you may like desire intensely to not exist. And uh, the Buddhists would actually say both of those desires are, uh, they're unwise. You know, they're like unskillful. That where it's at is at equanimity where you neither desire to exist nor desire to not exist. And I think that 5-MeO-DMT, essentially, that's the attitude that it rewards. It's basically complete equanimity about both existence and non-existence. Um, I mean, there's like some really, really intense things that can happen on 5-MeO-DMT. Like, for example, uh, that you feel that the truth is pretty horrifying because it includes the suffering of <laughs> all of the rest of reality or you may experience truth as like completely liberating because in a sense um, um, most of reality might be blissful for example it, it's possible I mean Mike uh, talks about these like how like supernova and quasars and black holes you know they may actually be like states of consciousness in ecstasy so to speak um, who knows who knows but basically on 5-MeO-DMT, this like radical groundlessness, this feeling that there's no way for you to control who you are or where you are. I mean, like, think about it. Like, did you decide to be where you are right now? No, it just kind of happened, right? So the same is going to be true for like being a, a post-human in ecstasy, like knowing, it, knowing everything and, and being in love or being a pig in a factory farm. Like, it's kind of outside of your control, you know? <laughs> if we're all one, if uh, we're kind of the one electron of the universe bouncing back and forth, interfering with itself, yeah, you're kind of everywhere and there's really nothing you can do to prevent becoming something else. Uh, and that's a, a whole topic, you know, I've talked about this uh, in other videos, but yeah, this radical feeling of groundlessness essentially teaches you that both attachment to existence and non-attachment, these kind of like trying to get out of existence, they're both causes of suffering. So what's left is, you know, perfect equanimity. And I think that's uh, what it cultivates. Whereas DMT, because you have this crazy evolutionary adversarial process, it actually ends up uh, selecting for patterns that really want to exist. Like they really, really want to exist. Again, not because like that's inherently like what consciousness wants 
But it's more like, hey, the things that want to exist and have strategies for existing, they are the things that are basically going to have a higher probability of existing. And, and those that are basically able to cooperate with one another and form coalitions and, you know, all of that. Yeah, on DMT, I believe that uh, desire qualia, repulsion qualia, um, anger qualia, love qualia, all of those end up being co-opted by these patterns, <laughs> these computing clusters of coherence in order to capture your attention and survive. So yeah, by, by its very nature, most DMT experiences will have kind of this underlying you know, vibe of really strong significance. Like, like it's, a, it's a disaster if you die, or it's a disaster if this entity over here like, dies, or if you don't follow its, its uh, commands or something like that. Uh, so in that sense, I would say DMT interestingly kind of enhances craving towards existing and, and non -exist especially existing. And it, it, all, it also, crazily, it gives you fear of missing out because uh, during this crazy evolutionary competition between qualia patterns on DMT, oftentimes you may get glimpses of heaven realms. Basically, yeah, slabs or configurations or, you know, uh, subsets of those patterns of coherence that are in a kind of like super cooperator relationship that they really really love each other and they're producing amazing blissful high valence you know highly consistent experiences and uh, they feel like heaven now again there's like a million different versions of that that heaven is a combinatorial explosion <laughs> so when two persons say like oh i've been to this dmt heaven and somebody else says like oh me too chances are they didn't you know chances are they Maybe heat on an attractor that has like similar features, but anyway, it's a combinatorial explosion. Each of them uh, has like unique properties, but they can be so blissful and so beautiful that uh, I think uh, it can they can give rise to kind of like a lot of uh, fear of missing out. This feeling that like oh man, like there's these possibilities out there, and like I'm just here stuck in a normal everyday human experience. Uh, and yeah, that, that kind of sucks. Uh, at the same time, it can be very motivating. And I think that very reliable ways of inducing high valence, uh, very pro-social states of consciousness, like let's say the MDMA version of DMT or something like that. I think they, they can be powerful coordination technologies. They can be ways for people to basically want to build the good together and in the process, you know, reduce suffering in others and, and so on. So. Anyway, I wouldn't bash DMT for, for this effect, but in terms of probably like mental health, my suspicion is that a good 5-MeO DMT is just going to be way better for like, you know, your meditation practice than a, than a DMT. Again, because this intense fear of missing out is just, yeah, not, not what you should be cultivating necessarily. Um, another very important point is underfeeding versus overfeeding. That because these competing patterns of coherence on DMT um, basically are playing with your internal model of the world, <laughs> um, something that happens is that uh, you fit that model in order to uh, account for the effects of the hallucinations, account for those hallucinations. So your model actually is getting a bunch of spurious data. Right, like it's getting a bunch of you know things that don't correspond to the real world, but it's very difficult to resist that data because resisting it actually causes dissonance. And like, I don't know if you've ever tried to uh, rebel against that DMT entity, but like they can they can they can kick your ass. You know, a DMT entity can <laughs> can uh, can cause you a lot of dissonance if you disagree with it. 
and like you will feel it as like literally low level dissonance uh patterns of vibration that are uncomfortable in different layers of the hierarchy and they have that power now it's not infinite power you can rebel against a dmt entity and what it's telling you is going to be uncomfortable you may even feel that you're like um uh how do you say like doing something against uh, something sacred or something like that again i think that's just like strategies that these like patterns take in order to co-opt your attention and continue to exist again <laughs> consciousness versus replicators you know you should be very careful of uh buying into the external existence of these things because you know it makes sense that in order to survive such a competitive environment they will have like all sorts of crazy strategies and one of them its primary one is that re uh, refusing to update on the information that they're giving you will literally feel dissonant and it will feel like they have access to some kind of like torture device or something like that it again so psychotic right like I, th I think they're like internal hallucinations or that's where i assign most of the probability mass i'm not sure but that's what it you know it seems to be consistent with internal hallucinations um and that causes a bunch of overfeeding essentially if you people who do a lot of dmt and if they're not like super careful with their epistemology they do end up believing things such as in you know, alien species, the greys, and all kinds of things like that. Uh, the Russians are plotting with, I don't know, uh, people in the moon. Very strange things um, that are part of the content of these hallucinations. Uh, whereas 5-MeO-DMT, its general tendency from this kind of a, a machine learning, you know, statistical perspective, it tends to give rise to underfeeding, where basically... Uh, because the content is taken care of by global coherence uh, um, and you're kind of withdrawn from sensory input, basically what happens is a model complexity minim minimization process that end up in basically uh, zero information states. And the closest things to zero information states tend to be things such as we are all one or all, the, all of existence cancels out to zero or um or i am god um things like that i mean i don't think the 5meo dmt experience you know it's not like it tells you you know like hey you are god no no no. i think it's rather this overwhelming super low information uh vibratory state also very high dimensional and in the human realm the things that kind of are able to make sense of that in the best way are precisely these like super simple ideas like we're all god uh we're all that energy and you know i i do assign a high probability to open individualism i do think like in some sense we're all the energy of the cosmos but i disagree with people who take a bunch of fire meo dmt and, and think that that's the answer to everything <laughs> that <laughs> that like being awakened is just to have internalized that we're all one consciousness or to anyway there's i think that's a failure mode i mean basically because reality is extremely detailed and if we want to create uh paradise if we want to engage in paradise engineering we cannot afford to be that underfeated you know we actually need a very significant model complexity to deal with the intricacies of life to realize that vision and that vision is not going to be realized by just having Everybody try 5MeO DMT and feel that they're God. 
I mean, that might be a piece of the puzzle. Like, maybe that's important. But it's by no means <laughs> the whole picture. Not even close. Not even 1% of it. <laughs> so that's why I would caution against uh, becoming too obsessed with something like the 5MEO DMT state. Uh, I do find it extremely interesting and illuminating. But yeah, it's not the final answer or something like that. I think that's uh, overreaching a bit. Um, then we have uh, fixed points and limit cycles versus chaotic attractors. Uh, I recommend watching yeah, my presentation at Harvard about the hyperbolic geometry of DMT experiences, where I basically show uh, these examples. And, and also there's like videos online of uh, video feedback that basically tag examples. But yeah, basically fixed point happens when, for example, you take a camera and you point it at its own uh, feedback, uh, at its own screen that it's showing. Um, and you put it kind of like a point in the center or something like that, and then you remove it. And like, it's a stable configuration where um, the image gets mapped on to basically the image that gets produced by the camera. And it's a stable, stable loop with no information, with just one slice. And that's called a fixed point. A limit cycle is when you have a pattern that repeats after a number of steps. And uh, that can happen, for example, if you take the camera and you tilt it slightly, and maybe you get kind of a, a spirally thing and there's a little bit of noise. Uh, so that like, it's not just a perfect, perfectly symmetrical, you know, like tunnel. Uh, you, you can get like patterns that basically do a short loop, maybe over the course of like 10 seconds or so. Um, so that that's like kind of typical of 5MEO DMT, especially the fixed point where like the operation that your awareness does on your current experience is one that results in the same experience. This is kind of like <laughs> your whole experience is like again, 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 vector that like you, you apply the operation and it results in the exact same thing every time you apply it. Uh, yeah, that's one example. Um, whereas on DMT, you tend to have chaotic attractors. Like you may have like some time loops and stuff, but like the time loops tend to be local. I mean, like that's the crazy thing, like competing patterns of coherence is the patches of coherence are in a state of being a time loop because they are, you know, eigenmodes. Basically, they are like subsets of your nervous system that under the influence of DMT, they create a self-repeating structure. So it could be, for example, like, oh, and there's so many of them. You know, I mean, you have like, uh, you know, like uh, surfaces that kind of like alternate in one direction and the other. And kind of like that is, you know, their eigenmode. But there, you, there's also a lot more crazy stuff. For example, there's like some DMT trips where the thing that is like a pattern of uh, coherence is what feels like threads, like lines, like for example, in your legs or something like that. You have like these like lines and maybe you have like lines of three different colors. You may have like blue, yellow and red as an example. And they activate in sequence. Basically, the, the blue one activates the, the yellow and the yellow activates the red and the red activates the blue. But, and they inhibit the one right uh, right before it. So you, you can you can kind of like this Christmas lights that are like circulating. And, the, and, and the, that's a pattern of coherence. Like that whole thing is self-reinforcing. So that would be a limit cycle, but it's a limit cycle locally. It doesn't mean that your entire experience is undergoing that. I mean, you can tune into it and with attention, try to merge other patterns of coherence to it. 
but you will find that at first they're dissonant because you know the the frequencies and the the spatial structures are different and they may be incompatible with one another <laughs> no lie <laughs> no lie that's kind of what happens on dmt so um so yes there's a bunch of time loops but they're local whereas yeah on 5meo dmt the time loop can be global uh which also happens on lsd and other classic psychedelics on dmt time loops are not like that i mean usually the narrative doesn't repeat like the entire sequence of events doesn't repeat but what does repeat is the patches of coherence that are the building blocks of that narrative um there's also a whole algebra to how like these uh, coherent patches interact with one another uh, and i think there's going to be like some fascinating connections with group theory and, and math and higher math in general when we actually start to study these in in earnest uh with uh, really really bright people that basically the different DMT spaces can be understood as recursively com uh, combining these patterns of coherence so that at first you have kind of these like two-dimensional sheets that eventually become hyperbolic surfaces and then they pass on to like higher dimensional crystals uh, all the way to things such as like, you know, high-dimensional, you know, five-dimensional hyperbolic surfaces that have their own dynamics. All of that, there's a very rich structure to like which combinations are possible, which ones are reinforcing, which ones are destructive. And I think, uh, yeah, uh, we will eventually map that out. You know, that's a, such a different model than like <laughs> you're getting an alien message, <laughs> which uh, actually pays attention to the details of the experience, not just the high level, oh, this is the information I received. Um, an example I thought of recently is like the difference between... Um, somebody going to Disneyland and like going through a ride. I don't know, the Pinocchio ride or the um, uh, Small World ride or something like that. And like most people go to that ride and they say, I saw like people from all over the world and they were singing and like they were sending a message of, you know, unity or something like that. Whereas like a mechatronics expert will come out of that ride and say like, oh, look, yeah, the, the objects were implemented with like thin metal sheets, probably aluminum with this reflectance. And I suspect they probably were using like, you know, old transistors because it seems like they weren't able to communicate with one another. And if they were using like higher, you know, like modern transistors, they would be able to do that. Uh, and probably these are the, you know, the energy parameter of each of the components. So think of like the kind of analysis that I'm providing here is kind of like mechatronic expert <laughs> goes to Disneyland and writes to you a technical report <laughs> of what's in there. That is the spirit. That is the wavelength. And I think that is how we can actually make progress. We are not going to make progress simply by compiling like, oh, okay, you got a message about universal love and like, oh, you got a message about how like, I don't know, people in the moon and Russia are conspiring. It's like, okay, no. <laughs> that That's like so far-fetched. That's very little information, generally useless information. Much better be the mechatronic expert and tell actually what is going on in terms of, you know, dynamic systems and, uh, you know, mathematical structures. Okay. Um, six, modulation of lateral inhibition. So in the tracer tool, we have received data. So the tracer tool is basically a tool online. I'll put a link in the description where you have a ball bouncing around and uh, you see the tracers of it when you're on a psychedelic. And we're very interested in quantifying those tracers uh, as a function of dose, as a function of substance. And the data that we have received so far 
is very suggestive that there is a profound difference between DMT tracers and 5-MeO DMT tracers where the DMT tracers basically create alternating colors. Basically, you have a blue ball very quickly creates an afterimage, uh, a negative afterimage, which is a uh, yellow ball, and that one will flip again into a blue ball and so on. So basically, you have a flip-flopping between uh, uh, an after a positive afterimage and a negative afterimage. Again, the competing clusters of coherence on DMT, they're mostly made of things like that. Basically, uh, an object and then its alter object is kind of like this afterimage, and they're like flip-flopping between them. Um, so, but that suggests that basically lateral inhibition is still really strong on DMT. And lateral inhibition is basically this uh, general tendency in the visual cortex and other parts of the cortex where basically activation in one region uh, inhibits its surrounding regions. So when you activate basically the color blue, that inhibits the surrounding ones. Um, and if you excite that network, you can imagine that you will have like a symmetrical lattice of activation. And as a consequence, you will be flip-flopping between a color and its opposite. So yeah, these are like slabs of symmetry I was talking about. Yeah, oftentimes, or for the most part, they are like uh, complementary colors. So you will have like blue and yellow alternating. Uh, and that's what we see with the tracers. 5-MeO DMT, on the other hand, produces tracers that are solid in color. They're basically, if it's blue, all the whole tracer is just blue, which uh, actually sort of suggests that like lateral inhibition may be compromised. And I, and I wonder if that is what's going on. I mean, I don't know, but like that would kind of be consistent. So it's possible, I don't know, it's possible that the flow that gets activated on 5-MeO DMT basically allows entire patches of the cortex to be activated at once, which would create this very strange contradictory experience of something and its opposites happening at once, which is something so characteristic of 5-MeO DMT, kind of like the opposites converge, whereas on DMT, they flip-flop between one another. You know, you get you get a kind of this quickly alternating uh, between one another. So yeah, so that's a fascinating framework. Uh, again, that's modulating uh, lateral inhibition. Uh, then we have diffuse attention versus focused attention. I don't think I need to spend a lot of time here, but basically DMT makes things extremely crisp. Uh, attention becomes extremely detailed um, and very focused for the most part. I mean, there is some diffuse attention when it comes to the world sheet being this three-dimensional res resonance structure and attention can be diffused. But still, the way in which attention is diffused there still contains this very crisp, you know, like threads or patches um, that are like populating that space. So there's like a, a crispness to it. Whereas 5-MeO DMT tends to generate a kind of like diffuse awareness over a large, and, and it's very like, you don't really have attention. You have like awareness. I mean, there's a difference between awareness and attention. Awareness is automatic and like massively parallel. Whereas attention is basically how you bind together features of your experience, your world simulation. And on 5MeO DMT, it almost seems that you experience just a ton of awareness and no ability to concentrate on any particular region of your experience. Or if you do concentrate, that concentration can kind of defuminates and, uh, and dissipates and it gets absorbed by everything else, which is why in some sense, like the biggest attractors of 5MeO DMT are this very strange kind of diffuse attention across your whole field of awareness. So that's a huge difference. Okay. Um, then there's also like 
big chunks and tiny chunks versus power law of chunks. So again, like these competing patterns of coherence on DMT, I think that they basically follow a power law. Uh, it's kind of like similar to, you know, how large avalanches are. Because like, hey, this pattern over here is just barely able to basically draw attention and maybe like flickers in and out of existence. Whereas like this bundle over here is able to kind of uh, snowball into a whole, you know, scenario or entity and object. Uh, but because of the chaotic nature of it and the opportunistic nature of patterns that basically whenever, whenever there's a transformation in your experience, uh, in DMT, you will tend to generally fit the holes with new emergent symmetries. How to say this? Like uh, here, for example, uh, there's no, uh, strictly speaking, two-dimensional pentagon because it's a projection. But as soon as I align it with a camera, you do have this pentagon that has like a new symmetry, which is that you can rotate it five times. Uh, you can also reflect it. Which, was, which is not the case when you're looking at it from a slightly different angle. Okay, so as the experience evolves on DMT, sometimes like you may, for example, experience a, a dodecahedron, and when the phase aligns with your point of view, then these may become uh, a fractal, or they may start to tessellate, or you may experience the symmetries of that object. In, in other words, um, uh, basically there's this chaotic property that like no matter how how much you have like cooperation between these uh, subcomponents, there's usually uh, uh, new emergent niches, new emergent evolutionary niches, oftentimes guided by emergent symmetries, uh, by changing the projection of the coherent objects. Anyway, I know this is a bunch, but like, I think that explains uh, a lot. And uh, basically it is kind of like a power law. You have these competing clusters of coherence and, um, and because of like coalition building, they follow like basically a power law distribution. Whereas on 5MeO DMT, rather what tends to happen is that all of your experience enters into a coherent state and maybe there's like a residue. Like there's like parts that are not able to be integrated. So it's kind of the, I don't know, the, the residue in, in when you're uh, melting steel or something like that, you have like this thin sheet of uh, oxidized, you know, steel and carbon at, at the top. Whereas like you still have like the bulk of it is like in this highly integrated state. And I think uh, uh, 5-MeO DMT can be described like that quite often. Uh, finally, um, 5-MeO DMT tends to give rise to like super high levels of integration, which is where uh, basically different parts of your nervous system are now able to talk to each other in a shared language, which is the language of the flow of 5-MeO DMT and the, the lack of internal resistance or uh, blockages for the uh, flow of that energy. Uh, whereas DMT uh, tends to basically fragment your nervous system in new ways that are just non-native to the typical kinds of fragmentations that we experience in our, in our nervous system. And uh, that gives rise to very different kind of uh, effects as a whole that uh, I think on 5-MeO DMT, you're much better to process like trauma and kind of like decide to live a better life or something like that. I think it has like more therapeutic benefit because it, it really puts you in kind of this like highly meditative state where information between different parts of your life can basically uh, 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 integrate with each other. So like the things that you've been kind of uh, resisting, all of a sudden the, the flow is kind of just completely open. Whereas, yeah, DMT 
I mean, I think it reinforces maybe some positive things. Like if you have like a very beautiful experience of universal love and DMT, like, yeah, that can be very encouraging and beautiful. But in general, I think its effect is just kind of more weird. It's kind of a, you develop delusions, you develop weird beliefs. Um, you kind of like provide a house for the machine elves and the competing clusters of coherence. And who knows? Uh, but in any case, fragmentation of patterns. Uh, it, it could also very well be, and I'm very open to this possibility, that uh, a therapeutic protocol where you first take DMT and then 5-MeO-DMT might, might, be, might be good because the, the first experience will kind of uh, jitter your priors and make you way more open-minded to like other possibilities. And the 5-MeO-DMT will then kind of uh, blend together all of that and allow you to achieve a kind of uh, integrated state. Um, but I don't know. It may also just be the case that pure 5-MeO-DMT is just the best for therapy in every situation. Um, when it's like well titrated and like the dose is reasonable. Yeah, I, I think that's a, there's a high probability that's going to be a breakthrough therapy for things like depression and anxiety and, and trauma. Uh, I guess I'll mention one fascinating thing that emerges out of these frameworks is um, that a lot of the spaces that you experience on DMT is they're trying to coexist without producing dissonance with one another. And there is a whole family of states on DMT. I call them the Megaminx world by basically this is a Megaminx, a, a dodecahedra, like Rubik's cube, Rubik's dodecahedra. And uh, your experience on DMT, sometimes there's like a whole attractor that is like your experience is kind of like fragmented into clusters where each of those clusters the time loops involve transformations in literal embedded mathematical groups, one of which is this one, but there's also others. There's a whole family. And uh, what happens is that the way in which valence ends up uh, manifesting like that is that uh, there's kind of an energy flow in each of those configurations. And when you try to solve the Rubik's cubes, so to speak, um, bad solutions basically are those where the energy um, collides with itself and causes dissonance. And good solutions are those where the energy flows without collisions. So it's very crazy, right? Because you're playing kind of this hallucinatory, high dimensional, crazy video game. And it absolutely seems like somebody else made it up. But then again, from the point of view of, you know, valence structuralism, the symmetry theory of valence, it makes sense. You know, like these competing clusters of, of coherence are trying to achieve an equilibrium and they're trying to minimize dissonance. And one way to do that is to basically lay it out as kind of these symmetry groups and for you to basically try to solve it and find a better configuration. And um, so it's it's a game. Uh and it can be a very blissful game <laughs> if you achieve a very good configuration. The The problem, though, is because the DMT state is not soft. It's basically like a lot of hard edges, which, again, hard edges in consonance can be beautiful, but hard edges in dissonance can be so gyring, so, like, screechy and, and uh, unpleasant. And uh, in a sense, these are games with real stakes. And the stakes are your sanity <laughs> and the stakes are valence. <laughs> so DMT is one of those things where like you can end up 
accidentally instantiating a game and be stuck in a local maxima of dissonance in that game and have no way of escaping it. Like maybe if you're a super genius and like you know the solutions to all of the Rubik's Cubes in all of the dimensions, <laughs> you will be able to say like, oh yeah, this is a family of, I don't know, E7. And like the way to solve it is this way. And then you achieve a perfectly blissful state. I wonder like what Terence Tao on DMT <laughs> would say. I really wonder. I really hope like he, he does it at some point um, and talks about it. Uh, but the thing is like there's real sticks. I mean, you can end up in like a hell realm on DMT and end up basically just uh, uh, any move that you make makes the dissonance worse. And by not making any movement, you're in a very badly uh, dissonant state. So that's why, yeah, DMT is kind of dangerous. And like even people who've done it like, you know, up to like hundreds of times uh sometimes they can still have a very unpleasant experience just kind of randomly uh again it's a matter of dose uh very bad experiences tend to happen in like higher doses uh for the most part uh like waiting room and and breakthrough level experiences um but i do think that a first principle understanding such as like competing clusters of coherence versus global coherence can allow us to in a sense maximize our chances to give rise to really good pro-social and heavenly DMT trips. Again, you know, we're in such early stages of understanding all this. But uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully these uh, 12 lenses I just provided um, are clarifying, illuminating. And yeah, I mean, again, <laughs> you heard it here first. And please... <laughs> Side our work, uh, maybe donate to QRI if you're interested in this sort of thing. And uh, yeah, look forward to talking to you another time. I'll be making videos on combining DMT and 5MEO DMT, uh, more on the free energy principle, kind of like an, a, a deeper read on that. And uh, functionalism, like why digital computers cannot be conscious. So all of those topics are coming up. Uh, anyway, all right. Thank you so much, Infinite Bliss, and have a wonderful, wonderful day.